I'm going to start this morning with an ancient Jewish proverb. (laughs) Oh God, I thank you that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. I thank you that I am free and not a slave. I thank you that I am a man and not a woman. (laughs) What? You can look at Galatians 3.28 and see that Paul is actually interacting with that proverb. That was a, an okay thing to say for hundreds of years among the Jews. That was built off of and probably in response to a similar proverb that was shared among the, the Greeks where they had their own version of that. What are they saying when they say, I thank you, God, that I'm this and not these other things? They're saying, God, I thank you that, I'm, that I get to be included in everything that I want to be included in. And I thank you, God, that I get to sit on the top of all the social situations and always feel comfortable. And I thank you, God, that I have access to all the places that anybody wants to have access to. And I thank you, God, that I get all the benefits that our society has to offer. And I get the preferential treatment And I get to always feel like I have power and authority and a voice that I can influence things with. Oh God, I thank you for that. And those are all the things that Galatians 3.28 is intended to dissolve. That sense of, I get it, and these people don't. What Galatians 3.28 says when Paul says, There is neither slave nor free... There is neither slave nor free. He is addressing the subject in that context of what we would call class. Class divisions, class distinctions. And the the message that we're going to be coming back to over and over again this morning is that Jesus removes the lies of class divisions in order to reveal something beautiful. So let's just reflect briefly for a second on what is class. Class is the way that our values are expressed in the social order. So I always, I always write social order with capital letters, so you kind of think like Star Wars geeks, you kind of think of like, you know, the, the bad guys, right? That's what this is intended to convey. Like the social order, that's the world. But the world is not uh, just this vague behind the scenes things. It's actually, right, it's woven through our lives. Our lives are woven into it. It is the stuff of our lives, But class is the way that our values are expressed in how society functions. Right? Our culture trains us to aspire to be like some people. Who are the people that you aspire to be like? What sort of people? What are examples of those people? And our culture teaches us to be glad that we're not like those people. Who are those people for you? What are some examples of those people? And our culture trains us to be comfortable with these people. These are my people. And what are their characteristics? Right? What kind of hats and shirts do they wear? What kind of what kind of bags do they carry? What kind of cars do they drive? Who are your people? Why do you make those distinctions? Those are your values. Why? And who? Those are the classes. Class is made up of a variety of social cues. What kind of job do you have? What kind of name? What's your name? 
What kind of goals do you have? Oh, I'm just, I'm really working towards this. This is my goal. That's going to kind of indicate where you are class-wise. Class is attached to wealth, is attached to race, education, family. We show it by our manners, right? Do you know what to do with a little fork? (laughs) I do not know what to do with a little fork. I just use one fork the whole meal long. Do you know what to do with a little fork? How do you dress? What kind of brands and clothes and how you wear them? How you look? You do your hair? The way you talk? You know, when's the last time you said hither or thither? <laughs> right, this is, these are sort of class divisions. Um, our conspicuous consumption. Right, We're always trying to purchase things that put us on the, the edge of the next class up so that we're at the top of the class that we're comfortable with. Right? Are you the sort of person who slips on some Crocs when you leave for the day? Or are you the sort of person that knots a cravat on your way out the door? But these are just little ways that we signify our class, our comfort, where we are. So class is those things, but then the social order gives them a moral value. The social order says, well, these people then are good. These people are right. These people are worthy of the deference that we give them because, look, they're wearing cravats. These people are worthy of being comforted and welcomed because, look, they're just like us wearing Crocs. I grew up in the 80s and 90s in suburban Detroit. Now, if you have uh, any idea about like, what the demographics of Detroit would have been like during that time, you may be surprised to know that even though I grew up a mile from the city limits of Detroit, I only had one black friend. I could count on one hand the number of African Americans that I knew. You never, I never saw any of them. They were never in my life. I actually just did some research on it in preparation for this little story to say, how, what was the demographic difference? When I was born and first moved into Detroit, Detroit was 60, no, what was it? 35% white, 65% black. When I left Detroit, Detroit was 12% white and 82% black. And I didn't know any of them. The church that I grew up in, the church culture that I grew up in, uh, we wore ties and suits on Sundays. The women wore dresses and I participated in an orchestra a mile from Detroit. I was in an orchestra that played every Sunday with our church. We were taught to be cultured. We were taught to to value high class. And you know what, what word that they said that cultured and high class people were? Was holy. We were holy. Because we looked like we were from 1920. We were <laughs> holy. The message was that class makes you good and right and worthy. Your class makes you good and right and worthy. Well, thank you, God, that I'm a Jew. The class divisions of society, right? That's actually just what society is. Class divisions is Reality And the tensions between those divisions have been a constant source of conflict 
All through the Bible, we see this all through the Bible. I had at one point in the development of this sermon a whole bunch of examples, but it's just on every page. It's it's all over the place, these tensions and these divisions. And of course, it's with us still today. But you notice when we come to, whenever God acts, those tensions and divisions get confused. When we turn into the New Testament, right, who do the angels descend from the presence of the God to announce the birth of the Messiah to? To whom do they come? The shepherds. Shepherds who were very low class, likely criminal class people, living on the very fringes of polite society. And the angels come to them and announce the birth of Jesus. And who bears witness in the early church, in in Scripture, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? But a group of women who would not have been in that society allowed to give their testimony in any legal matter. And yet God brings them to bear witness and our scriptures elevate them in their witness and testimony. And of course, when Jesus calls his disciples, he calls them from all different backgrounds. In the group of the disciples were people who hated each other before they met Jesus. Tax collectors and zealots. Zealots were killing tax collectors. Tax collectors were throwing zealots in jail. But there they are among the twelve. And then the bulk of his core group was fishermen. I don't know if you've ever been with fishermen at the end of the day. They don't smell great. And these guys are part of Jesus' disciples. Because right, what we've been discovering is that Jesus, Jesus changes everything. And Jesus turns things upside down. I was talking with Brian this week about last week's sermon, and he said he was prepared for it to be offensive, and it wasn't offensive. And I was offended when he said that. But it made me reflect on the key word in this phrase is, I guess, the three words. They're all really important. But think about changes for a second. Jesus changes everything. When's the last time Jesus changed? When's the last time Jesus changed something in your life? Something in your mind? When's the last time Jesus was brought into contact with these very stable operating ideas of our lives? I know we're reluctant to do that, but this is the idea here, that we want Jesus to give us the instructions because all else has failed. So Jesus needs to change these things. And this is what Jesus and the Spirit of Jesus is doing in the beautiful new creation community, which is us. Trying to make us a little different. The church is supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different. If our ideas of politics are reflective of all all of our demographically differentiated peers in the world, Jesus hasn't changed them. Right, if our views are, if my views are the exact same as every 42 year old white guy living in middle America, then Jesus hasn't affected that. The church is supposed to be different. As we've looked at before in Galatians, the Holy Spirit is at work in us individually and as a community to make us believers who love across social gaps and through social boundaries. And those social gaps and social boundaries 
That's what class is. That's what class divisions are. Look with me here at Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to be doing some turning today, so pull out your phone or your Bible. I want you to get the most benefit out of our time today, and that's going to be by spending as much of our time in the Word together as we can. Galatians 2.15, Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. You see, those aren't just national divisions, those are class divisions. We're Jews by birth, they're sinners. Yet we know, verse 16, we know that a person's not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Him, and not by the works of the law. Because by works of the law will no one be justified. The gospel eliminates all those class divisions. It equalizes all the social order class distinctions. And now look with me again at Galatians 3.27-28. to For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So there is... Neither now, neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are one. The gospel equalizes all the class distinctions of the social order. And this is not just because Jesus says so. This isn't just Jesus or God being like, you two knock it off and play nice. This is because what Jesus teaches and what the gospel reveals is actually the truth. The truth, right, working the social order, the works of the law, and being Jews by birth, it doesn't give us righteousness and significance. It doesn't make us good, right, or worthy of advantages socially. We all fall short. We are all sinners. We all need Jesus. And we are equal, absolutely equal in that need, in that desperate need. And then the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus, and because of what he's done, we have all an equal standing now before God. And we have equal access to all the blessings that Jesus provides. We are all equally made righteous and now have all we need to live equally significant lives in Christ. We are equal in Christ. We are equal before God. Amen. Amen. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. This is one of my favorite verses, and I feel like I never get to talk about it, so I'm going to make sure I talk about it a little bit today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. I want you to pay careful attention here. As Paul begins, he says, Don't lie to one another. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Don't lie to one another. What are, we, what are they lying about? What they're lying about is verse 11. He says, don't lie to one another because here there is neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Stop lying to each other about being Jew or Greek, Scythian, barbarian, slave or free. Stop lying to each other about being in a different class and being distinct from each other because here, Christ is the only thing that matters and Christ is in every one of you. 
The social order is a lie. That's what he's saying. Stop lying. Don't talk like them. The truth is that Christ is all for us. That's the only thing that matters. Jew, Greek, Scythian, are you in Christ? Bring it in. Christ is all and in all of us. Our identity is now defined by Jesus and by our relationship with him. Jesus removes that lie so that he can reveal something beautiful. That is the, that is the starting point for our conversation about class divisions and, and the social order here. But now we're going to begin increasingly to get into some of the messier things to think about. Because, for example, how does equality work when we start in different social locations? When a slave comes to church and a, and a rich, free, Roman-born citizen is at church, how, how do they interact? How, do we, how are we equal now? How does that equality work? Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.22. He says, The one who was called in the Lord as a bondservant, fancy American way of saying slave, uh, called in the Lord, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are a free person in the Lord. If you were a free person when the Lord called you, you're the slave of Christ. So what just happened? The, the social roles were upended, flipped, flipped over. You were a slave, now you're free in Christ. You were free in Rome, now you're a slave to Jesus Christ. James says something very similar. He says, let the lowly brother, that is, again, code for poor, let the poor brother boast that Jesus has exalted him. He has raised him up, he has given him all that he has given him. And let the rich boast in his humiliation. Equality in Christ actually turns the social world upside down. And you know, when you look at the church, when you look at a church that's actually beautiful, not just inhabiting a beautiful building, but is a beautiful church, that's what makes it beautiful. Is when you see people who look like they're worthy and, and, and getting honor in the world, but they're serving the lowly. They're serving those who can't give them any advantages or any benefits out there in their pursuit of worldly gains. You see them caring for the children. You see them respecting those who, who in the world don't get respect. You know, there's this... This beautiful scene in, at the end of one of the episodes of The Chosen, full disclosure, I, I haven't watched it, but I stumbled upon this YouTube clip, and it was pretty moving. <laughs> so whether it's any good or not, a lot of you really like it, and that's great. Keep watching it. Um, Jesus is dictating the Beatitudes to Matthew in this scene. Do you remember this? He wakes Matthew up in the morning, and he says, I, I want to dictate this to you. I, I think I know how I want to start my Sermon on the Mount. And he says... Uh, I'm going to start it by giving them a map. And then he goes on through the map, uh, through the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. He says, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. And he, he gives all these blessings of people who are on the outside and on the fringes and, and considered lowly and outcasts in society. And at the end of it, Matthew says, how is this a map? And Jesus says, anybody who wants to find me, those are the groups where you should look. 
In all the Roman Empire, there was only one place where the social order was disregarded, where class divisions were not honored. There's only one place, and that was the local church. Now, I noticed something in me at this moment in, the, in thinking about this subject because I am very much uh, in, the, in the majority, in the power center demographic in our culture. And so it was easy for me to think, wow, now everybody's equal to me. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Didn't you think that too? You're like, yeah, they are as good as me. <laughs> Maybe that's just my thing. But what, what Paul's saying, what the Bible says is, no, we're, we've been, we have been made equal. We're in Christ, and in Christ is a new location. Where we were relative to each other was not true. Stop lying to each other. Where you thought you were relative to each other was a lie. You where we now are is true. You know, capitalism says that wherever you are socially is where you deserve to be. Communism says, we'll put you where you deserve to be. And Christ says, you are now where no one deserves to be but me. You're welcome. You know, I, I think it's just important to point out that when the Bible talks about equality, Jesus is not teaching us to be tolerant of our social inferiors, tolerant of outsiders and the unclean. What the Bible reveals, what Jesus teaches, is that's us. And it's only by grace that any of us get to be where we are and don't deserve to be. So how should we treat each other? Are you still with me in Colossians? Colossians chapter 3. How should we treat each other? Let's begin here. He says, stop this lying. You are not these things. And so verse 12, let's, let's go on. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Because of who Christ has made you, because of the honor that he has shown you, now put on compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So because we have been brought into this new equality, we should treat each other with compassion, with kindness. We should care for each other. We should show each other love. Because we have, because of our new identity, because of what Jesus has done, this is how we're supposed to treat each other. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, you're kind of picking up where he leaves off here, uh, where he says, uh, above all, put on love. Here in Romans 12, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. And he explains what that means. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor. That's an interesting word. We don't use that word very much 
these days, but it's going to be important here for us. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul explains that idea a little bit more in Philippians 2. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. There's that reversal idea. More significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so, how should we now treat each other based on the equality that we have in Christ? We should treat each other with honor here. What is honor? When you show a person honor, the idea is that you are treating them appropriate to the truth of who they are. Right? Like, I don't know what sort of person, if they walked in, we'd all want to stand up, right? Or, you know, we'd, oh, and kind of, you just sort of, oh, sorry, you know, like, because we're trying to treat them appropriate to the truth of who they are. We want to show each other honor here because we want to treat each other appropriate to the truth of who we are. Right? What's the truth of of these people sitting here with you? What's the truth of our brothers and sisters in Christ? And what do they have? The the truth is that they're children of God, heirs of the promise of every spiritual blessing. They're filled with the Spirit. They're priests of the Most High God, and they have what we need. (laughs) These people have what we need. Not just me, not just Brian, not just the music team. We all have the blessings, the gifts, the Spirit, the calling from Scripture for each other to be all this for each other. If you're having trouble at your place of work, some sort of big problem with the whole operation, right? And Elon Musk comes in and you've been circling this problem for a long time and he says, well, maybe, can I share something? And you said, no, you're just a mechanic. I think you'd be missing out on an opportunity there. Right? He does some mechanical things. But you're really missing out on this. If you put him in that different class, if you put him in that different place, then you're missing out on all of the, all of the blessings that God wants to give you in Elon Musk. Right? <laughs> when, we lo- when we honor each other, when we show each other mutual honor, what we're doing is we're actually telling the truth. Honoring each other in the church is telling the truth. Now let's keep pushing on this question and this subject. So what does it mean to be a society of equality in a culture of inequalities? What does it mean to be a society of equality in a culture of inequalities? And what it means is, first of all, that we treat each other with honor here, but also that we are careful to especially honor those in here who don't get honor out there. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We want to especially honor in here those who don't get honor out there. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll begin reading in verse 21. And what we're going to see is not just that the gospel makes things equal, but for our equality to be lived out in our church, the gospel turns things upside down. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Paul is here specifically talking about the operation 
of the body of Christ. Our society here. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That's, that's social order talk, right? That's class division talk. Who are you? Just shut your mouth. We don't... We can't say that here. On the contrary... On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, what's the word in your version? Indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our presentable parts are treated with greater, unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I want you to observe something here in what Paul says. He says, God's composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that we can have the same care. For equality to be reached, we've got to give greater honor to some here that don't get that honor out there. We want to show more honor in the church to those who get less honor in the world. So while I was gone on sabbatical, there uh, we, we had a number of pastors or a number of pastors in training come and preach for us. And uh, after the summer was done, we Brian and Tony and I took them out to get some pizza and just thank them and. And Brian, and I'm blaming Brian for this. <laughs> if I can, right, I want to try to say. Uh, and Brian pushed these guys. He said, tell us what you think our church, how our church can grow, what we can do differently. And uh, after some insistence on Brian's part, they began to share some things. And they were all dumb, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were good insights. They were good insights. Uh, and I was thankful that Brian was, was so insistent on that, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, but one thing that really stuck out that was really interesting was uh, one of the men who came and preached was uh, Hispanic. And so he shared, he had a good time here, he enjoyed the fellowship, but he shared that his dad who came with him uh, was really anxious to enter into what in his words would have been a, you know, an, an Anglo congregation. And, his, you know, his son assured him it's going to be fine. These are good. You know, he, he, he was there the week before. And um, so his, his dad came in and his dad was so full of anxiety. Uh, who knows why, right? He's had some experiences with groups of Anglos in his life. And he was so full of anxiety that at one point he actually had to leave. He had to go out and just stand outside and calm down. And his family had to kind of make sure he was okay and make sure that he could come back in. Now, Nobody said anything bad to him. Nobody did anything but treat each other just the way we treat each other, which is wonderful. We were welcoming and kind and greeted him. But I know that now hearing that story, we all wish that we could have made him feel completely comfortable. And what would that have taken? It would have taken more honor. It would have taken more honor. In Romans 15, 1-2, Paul says that we who are strong have an obligation 
We owe it. Not to please ourselves. But let each of us please his neighbor for his good. To build him up. You know, I think that as a Christian man, I want to use my influence to make space for my Christian sisters to speak and to be heard because we are equal in Christ and we need to hear each other, therefore, and they tend to not get heard. As a majority culture Christian, I want to use my influence to make space for my black and Hispanic brothers and sisters to speak and to be heard because we are equal in Christ and we need to hear each other and they tend to not get heard. As a person in good health, reasonably good health, and with my cognition intact, I want to use my influence to make space for my brothers and sisters with physical and cognitive disabilities or in physical or cognitive decline to speak and to be heard because we are equal in Christ and we need to hear each other and they tend to not get heard. You know, one of the essential questions we have to wrestle with is what value do Christians have here who are not considered valuable by the world? What value do Christians have who are considered less important by the world? Because if we want to agree that they have real value, then that means that we need to show them real honor. And when somebody comes into your group and, they're, and you want to give them honor, you, you show them honor, what that means is that they now have a measure of authority and power that they don't have out there, they now have in here. You know, in the first century church, women in that church led in prayer. And slaves explained scripture. Over the course of the next couple of generations, people who were freed from slavery by the church became bishops and leaders in the church. And Gentiles became leaders and hosted the congregation, a congregation of Jews meeting in the home of a Gentile. Because equality in Christ turns the world upside down. The truth in Christ is that we are equal. The truth is that in Christ we are equal. And that truth is seen in, how, in who we honor and how we show them honor. The truth is that the social order of the world, this isn't a news flash, the truth is that the social order privileges some. Thank you, God, that I am a Jew. It gives them unearned advantages, unearned power, undeserved respect, preferential treatment, the benefit of a doubt. And by so doing, the social order lies. It says that it's your class that makes you good and right and worthy. Do you remember the story Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The world says... With the Pharisee, oh God, I thank you, I'm not like those people. But we know the truth. We know the truth. The truth that the tax collector prayed, God, 
Be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And what's the truth, sinners? Is that he has been. He has been. Thanks be to God. Jesus changes everything. And if anyone is in Christ, behold, new creation. This can feel like an impossible thing that we are called to do. To live contrary to the class values that have defined our lives. And it is going to be to the extent that we make any effort at this. It's going to be uncomfortable and we're going to make mistakes. But one of the big messages of Galatians is that the Holy Spirit is in it. Holy Spirit is in it. And friends, this is our beauty in our glory. This is the beauty and glory of Christ among His people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the discomfort that it gives us. Because we know that these are the instructions that we've lacked. This is the light that we've been missing out on, walking in darkness. This is the way. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are all now one in Christ, and there is neither slave nor free. We thank you, Lord, for all of the blessings that you have bestowed upon us, all of the the access we have to the place that matters most, to the throne room of God. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being among us and for doing this work, for illuminating, illuminating Scripture, for illuminating the path before us. And Spirit, now I pray that you would be with these thoughts and reflections on your word. And as that the word would dwell in us richly, that you would continue to more and more help us to be a place of love, a place of honor, an upside down world in a wrong side, uh, an upside down place in a wrong side up world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.